Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. For those just joining for the first time, the reason I always say good morning, good afternoon, and evening is because I never know what time zone you are in listening to me either live or on Memorex, as they say, via podcast, because I have listeners, I have fans from around the world, and time zones are very fluid when you have can do things like streaming. And my guest today is Heather Margulis, and she is not even in the same time zone as me right now. (laughs) And the the joy that I have when I get to do this show with my guests and, and for all of my listeners is the emails, the texts, the social media posts that I'm getting. I got a, a comment the other day from somebody that said, oh my God, I never thought of that in that way before. You've changed the way I'm thinking, and I feel like I have hope and possibility again. And for me, that is what this show is all about. It's to show you that there is always another choice. There is always another question that you can ask. The key is, what are the right questions to ask, and who are the right people to ask the questions of? I've been fortunate in my life that I have amazing people that come into my life, and I'm a really great networker, so I can tend to meet the people that I need that have the skills that I want. And Heather is one of those people I've known for a lot, a lot of years. And last week, we did a webinar for DNH, uh, a keynote yep. threadcast for DNH, where we were talking about social selling, selling to millennials and Gen Z and how marketing has changed. And Heather is just one of these people that just gets marketing and she gets business because if you don't have the right marketing, then you don't have a business. You can Nobody's going to find you, right, Heather? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And, and, And people don't think about that. They go, oh, I don't need marketing. I don't need that. What is it? I was once told I was uh, overhead. So the head of sales told uh, me as a as a entry level marketer, you know, marketing's overhead, right? <laughs> I, I just don't. I, you know, I owned my own business. I still own my own business, right? But when I owned, I'm, I'm trying to change something here because I am sweltering for some reason, and I can control my AC. For, That's for brilliant. My and I just, I'm sorry. I just so need to um, get rid of this As hot flash that I'm having right now. <laughs> so yay, it's going to drop my temperature down. There so you go. yeah, so owning my own business, I, I never thought, oh my God, how do you, how do you market? And then one day I realized that marketing doesn't have to cost a fortune if it's the right marketing because right. it pays for itself so quickly. I mean, you founded Channel Maven in the tech world. It is one of the preeminent marketing agencies for people inside the channel. For those not in the know, that means that the technology world where the vendors sell through people who sell the products. So that's called the channel. But then you started another company because you realized there was something missing called Because I'm a glutton for punishment. (laughs) Um. Yeah. I mean, it's so when you mention marketing your business, I'm a fourth generation entrepreneur and I lived that 
my, my family members were really good at something they did, right? They had a vocation. They were, they were an engineer, they were an attorney, um, but marketing wasn't something that was thought of. So when we talk about these smaller businesses and thinking about, you know, a lot of your business comes through word of mouth and you're doing really well and you're growing, maybe not as much as you could be, but you're still growing your business. And then boom, we're in a pandemic. And what was all of that I needed to know about marketing myself? What were the things I should have been doing? Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you're, you're definitely feeding a need um, by talking about all of this. So thank you. So as you were saying that, it made me think of something because I know there's a difference between marketing and advertising. Yes. And I think it's important because you said, you know, boom, pandemic, everything changes. And I remember right after the, the pandemic started, you know, you couldn't find toilet paper, you couldn't find Lysol, you couldn't find any of that stuff, right? And it's like, this is ridiculous, people, stop hoarding. Right. Um, but all this advertising started coming for the toilet paper companies, for the car companies, but that's not marketing. So what's the difference well, and I would even say I don't do marketing. I do demand and lead generation. So I think it used to be that marketing would hand something off to sales and sales would run with it. And that was it. That's the last marketing heard of it until they, until they started doing the, you didn't do anything with my leads and the leads you gave me were garbage. Um, so the flipping that on its head, lead and demand generation encompass sales and marketing and really go together. But it's more about first making sure that you're helping your prospects identify their pain point because someone may be, may be feeling frustrated with something, some aspect of their day-to-day -day and not realizing that there's a, there's a solution for that. Um, but then also once they've identified their pain point and realize that you are one of the many solutions that can help them solve that, help them think about why they should work with you why your solution is the best for their business. And, and um, marketing and sales are such a huge part of that, but I just want people to think of it differently because now it's a volley. Now, you know, marketing does so much to generate that, um, that demand and have people understand about the pain points. And then leads may come in and go to sales that don't go the, the usual path that then need to come back to marketing and be nurtured. I've seen many companies fail with their marketing. And one of the things that I thought of, and it's the first time ever I'm going to express this, is that too many times the marketing and the sales teams are not working together. So there's most of the time. different met most of the time. Okay. There's different messaging kind of going out there. And I feel like that's when the leads don't turn into sales or the sale doesn't have stickiness because there's a, a messaging mix up. What do you say right. to that? And how do you begin to address that? Right. Uh, you know, you touched on, I started a second company, it's called Spark Your Channel, and it allows channel partners and salespeople to come in, see a piece of content that was created by marketing, and add their own introduction and outro. So marketing spends so much money creating a two-minute 
really interesting business outcome focused piece of content. And the salesperson can say, hi, this is Heather with company XYZ. Check out this great video from our team. Let me know if you have any questions. That adds the, some of our salespeople are so good that they just plow ahead. They feel like I'm setting up sequences in my CRM. I'm doing outreach on LinkedIn. I'm um, investigating my prospects really well. And that sometimes leads to even more of a disconnect. Oh yeah. Than, than if a salesperson is sort of like, what am I, what am I doing? Where's our messaging? Where do I go for this? Um, so I think it's really important for market, the, the executives on the marketing and sales teams to understand that there needs to be a united front and to work together with that messaging. You know, if marketing creates messaging in a bubble, sales is never going to use it. Right. And if sales isn't telling marketing the things that they're learning and hearing, then they're not going to create the right messaging. My, um, my grandfather was a construction engineer. Anybody in Massachusetts, he was um, leading the Worcester Centrum, if anyone knows okay. that massive building. And he used to say, if an architect built a building without a construction engineer, it would fall down. But if the construction engineer built the building without the architect, they would make them take it down. So those two, you know, sales and marketing, you can, you can build great messaging, but if you've never been on a sales call, if you've never heard what your prospects are really going through, then your messaging is going to fall flat. And if you're on the sales side and you're not having that united front and people see your company pushing out messaging and content about business outcome X, Y, Z, but you're saying something totally different, it's just if anything, it's just making their, their lives harder. And you mentioned something earlier when we first started this interview that I think is that third leg of the stool. So you mentioned an architect and a, and a construction engineer, but if you don't have the client involved in the conversation, then that building's going to stay empty. True. True. And you yeah, won't you know the purpose for the building. Need. Right. Right. So how do you begin to make sure that what you're doing will have a better chance of providing fruit? Um, you know, A-B testing is huge. Uh, talking to your customers before you ever build anything. I interviewed- Explain A-B testing for those that sorry, might not know. Yeah. So it, let's say you're sending an email or you're developing a piece of content. Um, send 5% of your list one subject line and 5% of your list, another subject line, and whichever subject line does better, that's the one you lead with. But even before that, we talked to over 100 partners before creating Spark, because all we heard was usage on through-channel demand generation programs, which we as Channel Maven have been doing for years, is very low. So we needed to understand before we ever wrote the first line of code, why why partners weren't using it was was there a need or were we filling a void that that the vendor had the vendor wanted partners to be better at demand generation um but the channel part that's not what the channel partners wanted so i think talking to all aspects of your constituents not just the budget holder talking to the person who's actually supposed to be using your products and solutions so not the person that necessarily orders it but the eventual end user of the product, if you're a B2B 
versus a, a business to business versus business to right. consumer because we have varying interests out there. We have corporate right. down to solopreneurs. Okay. Now there's something called top of mind marketing mm-hmm. that I used quite often where we just had this little subtle thing that ran all the time in the newspaper with pain points, right? you know, similar to the got milk campaign, you know, it was like got spam, right? got spyware. Yeah. <laughs> Want to throw the computer out the window <laughs> kind exactly. of thing. But is that still relevant in the world today? Because I feel like the way we used to market and you and I, you know, I moderated this panel that you were on and I struggle with it myself. Okay. What we're about to talk about. I feel like marketing has undergone gone a shift that yeah. the traditional channels of newspaper of certain other things that we used to do don't stick. I've got somebody trying to market at me right now on right. Facebook saying, you know, I've never slept better. PM me if you want to know the solution. And and I'm I'm just like, why is this effective that I have to PM you and then hear about it? It feels like it's one of those schemes. Well, spam takes many forms now, doesn't it? I mean, we are we are spammed on everything we're doing. So if you log in to Facebook or Instagram or even LinkedIn, you're you're being targeted. So I think that top of mind marketing move from the newspaper to email to social and account-based marketing. Um, There are ways to do it right. And in the last six months, seven months now, what year is it? (laughs) I think we've, I think I've said the word authentic more than a thousand times. We all know that you're trying to sell to us. It's okay do it in a respectful way that makes me realize, you know, that I'm not an idiot. Like I know my business better than you do. You know, your solution, but ask me questions. Don't just assume I have that pain point or that you're going to knock it out of the park. The first time we talk, like listen more than, than you talk. Okay. So what makes effective, that's not really really where I want to go with the question. Social media changed the landscape because it's so immediate. Mm -hmm. There's no waiting. You you know whether something's going to work quickly or not. Right. I, I, I stink at it. I, I will be the first person to admit it. I'm so much better in person. You know, I can sell anything in person. But that's not how it works. So if somebody wants to begin to be effective on social media to attract perhaps varying age levels, sure, um, because the market's shifting, what would be the first thing you would tell somebody to start doing? I think the first thing you want to do is make sure that your profile presents you on any of the platforms, make sure your profile presents you in a way that you want to be, that you would present yourself in person. Um, So I tend to, you know, LinkedIn is very much my business account. That is where I'm communicating only with people um, that I know through business for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have my corporate headshot. 
I have my um, profile and all of the things that I do on a regular basis. Occasionally, I talk about, um, you know, uh, Channel Maven once a quarter does has been doing a fundraiser in 2020, just knowing that there are so many organizations that need it. So we'll talk about that, which maybe lends itself to my personal side of it. Twitter is probably more business, but we'll have things like a picture of a hike or somewhat inspirational quotes as well. Facebook's very personal. I'm now connected to a lot of people I know through business there, but they know when they go there that they're going to get more of a personal side of me. Um, So I would say to everyone to set up your accounts the way you want to be perceived on those levels. So you can be a little bit more personal on Facebook, much more corporate on LinkedIn. Then start connecting with the people that you already know. So everyone out there has a customer list that they have worked with over however old their business is, 20 years. Go back and find those people on LinkedIn and reconnect with them. Um, Don't be offended if you connect with somebody on Facebook and they don't connect with you. I tend to reserve that for people who I've actually met. It could be a virtual meeting. We could have been on a phone call like this, Um, but... I definitely am not just, you know, I post pictures of my kids. I'm not letting anyone and everyone join. Um, And then as you start to connect with those people, listen to them. What are they posting about? What do they care about? What are their concerns? We need to get back to a place where we're having an actual relationship with someone. And now, especially in the midst of a pandemic, that is very much on social or on video. And the election has transform the landscape of social media as well? How do you get heard above the noise of the bots that are posting a lot of things, the ads that are not really ads, they're really malware sitting behind it? I mean, how do you get yourself above that that voice? Well, and that's also something, if, if any of you listening are MSSPs and focused on security, you you need to educate your customers. You know, when the pandemic first hit and we all went into quarantine, um, there were there was all of this ma- malware on a map. Like, see COVID cases now, and you would click to see how many COVID cases there were in your community, only to find out that you had just been part of a phishing scheme and now something was inside of your computer looking at all of your data. So it's important, even if you're not involved in social, it's important that you as MSPs or MSSPs can understand what's going on so that you can alert your customers to that type of information. And and for those of you who are watching this, who are not in the tech world, like Heather and I have been for a very long time and stuff, MSP is managed service provider, MSSP is managed security service provider. And a lot of those who follow me are in the tech world and you have to look at things very differently. And there's a lot we can learn from that as, as Heather, you just mentioned this, you know, you click on this map because you think it's really cool. And people are like, oh, it's on Facebook. It must be okay. It's on social media. It must be okay. No, it's not. And And by the way, all of your friends are clicking and, and sharing it because they don't realize they just shared something potentially toxic to your computer with you. Well, that makes it even harder, right? If, if you're trying to market through social media, and I know one of the things that you and um, somebody else have had on my show, Ashlyn Silva, 
talk about, you know, the whole social selling is looking at hashtags and trends that are going on and thinking about how you can apply your messaging into that. How do you begin to look at a hashtag and go, is it legit? Is what's trending legit? Should I really enter this conversation? Does it fit? I'm so confused by that. (laughs) Well, and I think some of it has to do with I tend not to click a hashtag. If I see a hashtag that's of interest, I search it. And then I can see all of the people who are talking about it so that that will potentially alert me to something that's not above board. Um, I also try to use this similar hashtags all the time. So I talk a lot about channel marketing. I don't know the last time I posted something when there wasn't a channel marketing hashtag. Um, So I think just being being aware and being cautious and not just clicking without thinking about it. Um, and it's hard. It's, you know, if any of you are in consumer products, you're not hearing the things that we're hearing on a regular basis in the IT world. Um, so just making sure that you're cautious and that as you think about the way you market to your customers, making sure that they're not, you're not putting them at risk as well. I I have this like three thoughts going through my head at the same time based on that. And I'm trying to figure out the best way to have you elaborate on the whole social media marketing idea. When, when you and I were talking last week on the DNH threadcast, Mm -hmm. we began to talk about this idea of authenticity finding your voice and really truly being who you are as a company and a business. That's something that I feel entrepreneurs are still struggling with how to be authentic without coming off as non-authentic. Right. Right. It's hard, right? Like we're, especially if you're vulnerable right now, especially if your business is struggling there's a need to feel like um, you're making headway and that you're selling to pe- that you're, you know, your pipeline is filling. Um, and it's hard if it's not something you've experienced before. Like I always think of the movie. I once had a professor in undergrad, which was a long time ago, uh, say um, you should watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And I watched it. And I was like, Whoever wants to be sold to by one of these people. Oh, boiler like, room too. Yeah. Right. And, and that's not how I want to be sold to. Um, so we really need to think about how would you want to be sold to, you know, speaking of the election, um, the moment you donate, all of a sudden you're getting texts and emails from that same party or, or campaign. Um, and for the most part, I ignore them, but when I can tell it's a volunteer, I respond and I say, thank you so much, not at this time. Because I was a volunteer, there are politicians in my family and I remember being forced to be that person. And this was when you would call, right? That there were no texts, you couldn't hide behind a text. And some people were so mean. And I think those of us who have been in sales can feel for the person who's reaching out to you and calling. And I think it's okay to say not at this time or not of interest or, you know, you obviously didn't look at my website because we compete. (laughs) 
Um, but I think just being a human and realizing that there's a human on the other end of the phone, even if they're not, even if they're an outsourced human, you know, um, that we just, can we all just be a little bit nicer to each other? And, and the authentic side of it, I was on a call the other day and they had shown a ton of interest in Spark. And, you know, we launched in February. We have six clients because our, we sold our first one in June. Everybody shut budget, right? Right. March 20th, March happened. Nobody was having any conversations until June. We sold our first instance in June and have been having great conversations ever since then. But, but this was like our third or fourth call. It seemed promising. And somebody stepped in and said, you know, we have this and this and this and this in our infrastructure stack. How, how do you add to that? And after giving one or two suggestions, you know, you could do this or you could do this, or you know what, maybe we're just not a fit. Like maybe you should, that all those four things are brand new. Maybe you should see how those go and call us in six months if it's not working. For a salesperson to do that, you're speaking volumes about your character to be honest with your prospects and, and about your business and to say no thanks to that sale, because guess what? The next time they do need what you sell, they're going to call you and they're going to remember you. Right. Or if somebody they know. Right. Might need what you do. Have, do you, have you ever heard of Bob Berg? Yes. He wrote the book, The Go-Giver. He's a, he's a dear friend of mine. And that's one of the things he really talks about is sometimes you're not the right fit and it's better to say it and pass it on to somebody you know who is the right fit. It's about that authenticity. And you mentioned phone. I, I'm seeing more reach outs on Facebook Messenger or LinkedIn direct message than I am with yeah. the phones being picked up. How do you market communicate that way Right. Well, to me that it, it's much more difficult. I think I'm much more an advocate of LinkedIn messenger than I am of Facebook messenger or LinkedIn mail. Um, Facebook, I really think if I'm on Facebook, I'm not looking to buy something right now. Like I'm looking to see my friend's kids. And um, for anyone who has watched The Social Dilemma, I highly encourage you to watch it. It has cut down my Facebook activity by at least 80%. But the quote that sticks in my head, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember it exactly. If you are using a service that is free, then you are the product. Mm -hmm. So when I'm on Facebook, it's unavoidable to be sold to. I am the product. Companies are using data about what I've clicked on, who I am friends with, things I've posted about, what I've said. So to then have a salesperson reach out to me on that, it feels very intrusive. LinkedIn, your message shouldn't be a sales message. It shouldn't be, are you looking for website talent? We've done these five websites, link, 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 link. I got 10 of those the other day. 10, I'm not surprised. Uh, no, you know, I'm like a super lazy un, you know, uh, unsubscriber. So I opened my email and immediately there were like a hundred emails that I should probably just take half an hour and go unsubscribe to, right. uh, because I get them every morning and I don't, I just go delete and move on with my day. Been there myself. <laughs> I will disconnect with you on LinkedIn, which takes longer by the way than unsubscribing 
faster than you can say unsubscribe if you sent immediately send me a sales message. Like you are not adding value. You have shown your hand that all you, you don't care about me or what I do. All you want to do is sell me something. So I, but I do use LinkedIn mail for things like checking in with clients that I haven't spoken to in a long time. Okay. Or, um, especially if I don't have their email when I used to travel, <laughs> I used to, I used to do, you know, twice a quarter, I'd go to, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. I would go to San Francisco, San Jose, uh, Florida, Boston, and Chicago. Okay. And I would message all of my friends. I mean, I've also become friends with a lot of the clients we've worked with or prospects that we've spoken to over the years and um, just grab coffee or lunch or hear what's going on in their life and make suggestions, even if it's not us. Even right. if we're not the right suggestion, I will make suggestions. Just the other day, because I made a change to my profile on LinkedIn. And so I guess it brought me up for a lot of people. And probably alerted them if you like, you know, Laura has a new picture or <laughs> Laura updated her title. Yeah. And, and I did, and it's stuff I'd been doing for a while. I just never got around to updating my LinkedIn profile. And now I'm getting inundated with a slew of people. I want to be on your show. I should, I'm a perfect guest for your show, you know, um, or you're a coach right? or a consultant. Hey, I help you seven figure, eight figure, 10 X your, your business. And I'm looking at these people going, I read what they write. And I'm like, you don't even know what I do. Right. Did you even look at my website? <laughs> so with marketing, it's important to know what you, what your clients do, where they live, where they breathe. It used to be what magazines do they read? Right. Where do they what live? What TV shows are they watching? Right. Right. It's, it feels more complicated for some reason to find that information on social media because people tend to put a persona right out there. So how do you cut through the crap? Um, I have started being more cautious with who I'll connect with. I also never make a purchase without first doing research. So let's say somebody sends me that message and they have identified a pain point that I'm having. I'll, I'll then go out and look for other options if, or I look at who they're connected with. If they have messaged me on LinkedIn, I click on them and see how many connections we have in common and I'll ask, you know, I see that you're connected to so-and-so. They just reached out to me. Are they, you know, are they someone I should be talking to? Um, and I think it's important that you, that everyone does their own research as well. Cause anyone can claim to be an expert in anything, right? The, uh, my favorite is when someone reaches out to me and says um, something like, we're a digital marketing agency and we can increase your level of con connections by blah, 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 blah. And I'll, it depends. Like if they catch me in a grumpy day, sometimes I'll just disconnect. But if they catch me in a mood, I'll respond back and say, wow, thanks so much for that. My company actually is a digital marketing agency, which if you looked at our website, you would know. And we are more than happy to help coach you with how to connect with people on LinkedIn in a more authentic way. And usually I don't hear back, but every once in a while I'll get the like, thank you. 
<laughs> and you could feel the person in the background, you know, that they're typing that feeling totally cowed. Right. Like maybe I should have actually practiced what I preach and done my research first. So for the people listening on the show, when they want to make sure that they don't do those things right. that we've talked about, that they do things that set them up as an expert, as their product solving the need, is it a consistency thing? I mean, how long do you think it takes now for something to take root? Because the world seems like it shifts so quickly. Right. I would say first, um, have faith in the process. The yes, nurturing connections on LinkedIn takes longer. So if your sales cycle is three months, let's say, it could take nine, 12, 18 months to go from the point of connection to the point where someone's actually reaching out to you or, or giving you permission to reach out to them. But if you immediately jump into that selling conversation, they haven't given you that permission. You're lucky that they connected with you. Right. So enjoy that for the moment and then post relevant content out as a network status update instead of direct to them. The, the other thing to think about is um, LinkedIn can allow you to better target your prospects, especially if you use something called Sales Navigator. So Sales Navigator is within LinkedIn, but it is an extra, I think it's $700, $800 a year. Okay. Which is less than $100 a month. Think about that. Um, where you can go into Sales Navigator, search by um, company type, company size, company location, and the person's title. And this is very much B2B, right? Like if those of you out there are thinking business to consumer, then you are doing Facebook ads and account-based marketing, to which I would say get an expert because you can really mess up account-based marketing and spend a lot of money doing yep. it. Quickly. Um, so if you're searching for your prospects on LinkedIn, Sales Navigator, and you find them, the first thing I would say to do is just connect with them. Say we have something in common or we're both in the IT or pharmaceutical industry, but then it's up to you to make sure that when you're posting something on LinkedIn, it's relevant without being salesy. So a lot of times I'll post an article that I find that's just of interest to my audience and it isn't necessarily about me. And that positions me as more of a thought leader as opposed to a salesperson. So you're curating. Right. Okay. Talk about curating because I don't, I know that a number of my, my listeners, either on the podcast or the video Facebook live stuff, they don't really understand the value of curation and, and what curation really is. Sure. That's not just passing the meme of a cat around. Right. Although sometimes it could be, but not really, right? Right. We used to say, um, so I first got on Twitter in 2007, I think. I mean, that was when we were just talking about what we had for breakfast um, and taking lots of pictures of it. Uh, I really feel like if you are focused on pharmaceutical sales, there's so much that happens in your industry on a day-to-day -day basis that you could be posting about to educate not just your the doctors that you're trying to get to prescribe your 
medications, but also the consumers who maybe are connected with you who don't are, are connected with you because they're your brother-in-law or your friend from high school. Um, so it's just being, choosing a lane and sort of sticking to that. Certainly you can sprinkle things in about your family or your weekend or whatever, but don't post about uh, drug trials if you're in pharmaceuticals and then go post about cybersecurity and all of the things that you should be doing to make sure that your technology is secure. Really think about why people are following you um, and, and stick to your audience so that you can curate content and information from other people. That makes you look even more like a thought leader, right? If I, if I said, look, I wrote a blog post. Look, I wrote a blog post. Look, I'm on a video. Look, I wrote a blog post. That's, that starts to feel like self-promotion. And, and you know, I should probably stick my foot in my mouth because since launching Spark, we've had a very busy press schedule and, and there are, is a lot of content with me talking. I, I finally said to somebody, hashtag, are you sick of me yet? Uh, <laughs> but sprinkled in there are things about our industry and things about that I've gotten elsewhere. So not only am I writing about it, but look at all these other people that are writing about it. Um, it just sort of makes it feel... Um, like there's a groundswell as opposed to, hey, this is just what I'm doing. There's such a, I feel like there's such a fine line between self-promotion and marketing. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what that line is. I'm going to guess, Heather, that, that you do. You talk about the male-female perspectives on this as well. You know, here we are, two women in it. You're one of the top right. women in marketing in, in the tech world that's out there. Is there a difference between the way men and women market? And is it considered self-promotion more from another than the other? Um, wow, there are a lot of questions in that one I question. know, there are. So just popped in my head there. First, I would say men don't apologize. Like they're sort of anytime. So I'm raising money for Spark. Anytime I get on the phone with an investor and I have to start to talk about who I am, if they don't know the channel, if they don't know channel marketing, I say to them, this is the uncomfortable part where I have to like tell you I'm, I'm kind of a badass. Um, and I... I was a super shy kid and um, got made fun of a lot for a lot of things. I'm not going to go there, but, um, and it's funny if I'm connected to someone on Facebook who knew me when I was in elementary school or middle school or even high school, um, they're sort of surprised that I became a big deal because I was so, um, if anybody is watching the tech bar for OIT on Thursday, you're going to see a picture of me in high school. It will explain everything. <laughs> um, so I feel like it took, it takes me a lot to work myself up to feel like I can promote myself. And even you saying that I'm a big deal, like I get a little uncomfortable and, and shift in my seat a little bit. Um, my sister-in-law just came into our industry. So she's known me for 16 years since I've been with, married to her, her brother. And she just started working in our industry and was like, okay, like I saw your stuff on Facebook. I knew you were kind of a big deal, but 
I tell people we're related and they're like, Oh, you know, Heather Margolis. And that's so uncomfortable. Like I just, um, I'm just me and I work really hard. And I think I came from a place where I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't given confidence from external resources and had to sort of say, Hey, I'm over here. Look at me. I'm right here. And now I'm a total ham. Like I love being on the camera and I love, um, talking about what I know and what I'm good at. Um, but I think women tend to what there's a saying, and I wish Ashlyn or, uh, Janet were on the phone cause they would know the exact saying, um, men talk about things as if they know about it and women won't talk about it unless they're asked about it or something like that. Women need to know the exact right answer before they'll answer. Um, and I, I think for anyone out there, male or female, who is lacking that confidence, you just have to ask your peers, ask your friends, what am I good at? And, and promote that and, and research it and get really good at it. Don't just assume that the answer that you gave a decade ago is the answer that is, is the reality today. You mentioned Janet Shines. Um, and I'd be remiss if we did not. Hey, Janet, by the way, because I know you watch all the time. Thanks for introducing us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, you know, we've known each other periphery before, but it took Janet for yeah. us to actually go, oh, you know, and, and Dina. We should talk. And Dina Moskowitz as yes. well. Another great SAS CEO. Oh, gosh. Female SAS CEO. I feel so fortunate. It's unfortunate we can sort of count them on two hands, you know, Yeah. But like, Oh, she's a sassy yeah. There aren't many. Yeah, you know, we could go through the litany, Michelle Ragusa and McBain. We can just keep going on and on and on. And you know, Janet is a massive proponent of women in in tech and women in general. And I'm grateful for her friendship over the years. Dina Moskowitz as well of Sazmax. These are very strong women that have entered into fundraising areas, you know, investor areas for their companies or other companies. Janet is this maven like you, you know, channel maven, your company, this amazing arena of standing up for what's true and being who they are. I mean, I love the fact that Janet, when she's asked to do a keynote, lets the person who's hiring her pick the color of her Converse sneakers that she's going to wear on stage. It's her thing you're sitting there wearing a t-shirt that says phenomenal woman and you are, but yet you just said that it's a struggle for you to at times accept that's who you are. What do you say to yourself and to my listeners out there about that? Um, I wish I had it on today. One of my COO, Jen Reed, who's also a phenomenal woman, um, she's the CEO of Channel Maven and has really taken the reins while I go off and start Spark. When I first, um, when I had my first, what the <clears throat> am I doing right now? Like I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a, a 12-year-old, almost at the time, 11-year-old company. And I'm about to start a SaaS platform and I don't, I don't write code. Um, she sent me a bracelet, a bracelet that on the inside, like on the outside, it just looks like a bang on the inside. It says, keep going <laughs> word that starts with an F. Right. Um, and I think a lot of the, 
the positives and negatives of being an entrepreneur or a doctor or a stay-at-home mom who's dealing with COVID right now right, is all about encouraging yourself on a regular basis. Men don't need that sort of external encouragement. You know, we talk about some men don't need that. I should say, I know plenty of, of male entrepreneurs who at times are also having imposter syndrome. Um, and I just think that there's, it's a feeling of missing something, not being good at something. So my husband's an entrepreneur. I now own two companies. I have two toddlers at home and I oversee between my two companies about 25 people. I'm not going to be good at all of those things every single day, but I need to be okay with being good at the, the thing that is the most important or the most complicated that day. So as we were getting on the phone, I heard my four-year-old screaming from the, ba- like I'm on the second floor. There's a first floor between us and she's all the way downstairs in the playroom. Right. Screaming to which I texted our au pair, please put on Sesame Street. <laughs> Not something I would do on a, on a day-to-day basis. Like they don't watch TV during the week. It's a special thing, but I was about to get on a podcast with Laura and I need quiet. So guess what? Not being an awesome mom, but being an awesome entrepreneur today or in this moment. Um, And I think that women tend to feel like they've failed if they're not awesome at everything all the time. And I don't know where that comes from. Maybe we should get a psychologist on the phone next, but wherever it comes from, we need to just think about letting it go a little bit and being really good at one thing in that moment. People talk a lot about work-life balance. Um, I don't see it as like, well, I work nine to five and then I'm with my kids. And then my two-year-old has a PD uh, checkup in an hour. So in an hour, I will be a really good mom and a bad entrepreneur, but it's okay. It's about designing your life, right? Yeah. Um, Cheryl Lu Shung, she wrote the 24 hour woman, you and Cheryl should meet. You guys would just That'd be awesome. love each other. She's in Singapore. And I asked her once, cause she teaches this and helps corporations way before flex time and work from home was the thing she was helping corporations do this stuff. I asked her about this idea of balance and she said, there's no such thing. And she talks about this, right? This is her thing is about the 24-hour And she asked me if I'd ever been on a sailboat. And I went, yeah, I have. And she says, well, did you ever notice that a sailboat doesn't go straight? Right. It kind of tacks left. It kind of tacks right, all with an end goal in mind. And she said, that's really the balance is knowing that sometimes in your career journey, in your life journey, you're going to go a little more to port come back to center, maybe go a little more to starboard. The important thing is to always come back to a center line at some point, keeping in mind that there's more than just what's to the left or to the right. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. Well, and it absolutely is. I love that. It, it also makes you realize how important it is to, it sounds cliche, but you have to save yourself first, right? Put on your mask first. Um, 
I am very good at self-care. I mean, there are times where things are crazy and I just need to go do a 10 minute meditation or I need to do yoga or I pulled my back out and I need to go to the chiropractor. Um, it, it also reminds me, I have a very good friend talk about a phenomenal woman, Claudia Batten, who, um, is a multi-time entrepreneur and is now leading, um, entrepreneurial efforts for uh, New Zealand, people from New Zealand in the US, she wrote about the squiggly line. Like your, your success doesn't go from here to here. There are a lot of things that happen in between that as long as you're living a life where you are content, you might not always be happy, but as long as you are finding happiness along that journey, um, it really is incredibly important. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, change something. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I, I think I would be remiss because I know that phenomenal woman shirt means something to you. Yes. Let, yes. Let's talk about that. I mean, you so, are a phenomenal woman. Well, thank you. You are as well. I think all women are phenomenal women. Yeah, I mean, we all are. Whether you've come from a really challenging place and, and put yourself through an associate's degree and are working a job where you're more physical. First of all, thank you. And I'm, I'm sorry you're dealing with a pandemic right now, but any woman is a phenomenal woman. You just have to realize that and, and embrace that. So this t-shirt came from um, last year, salesforce.com was giving these out at the women's leadership council, which is an event that BAPTI channel focus does every year, usually live. Um, and this year they're doing it virtually. Uh, I wish I had the dates on the top of my fingertips, but I will send those to you, um, which is amazing because now transportation is not an issue. Travel is not an issue. Getting budget from your manager is not an issue. It's such an amazing event. Their space is limited because they're actually, actually speed mentor sessions. So oh, wow. executives, myself included, um, mentor each of the attendees for 15 minutes and, and try to just sort of get them out of their own head and thinking about a path forward. So it's awesome. I love that event. Oh, I love that. Whenever I, I deliver keynotes, one of the things I always did was um, laser strategy sessions. Mm -hmm. So I would offer to all the attendees, depending on the event that was laid out, I'd, I'd have a, I'd go to a certain corner and they could sign up for 15 minute sessions where it's we so, would just laser focus on something for 15 minutes. Uh, I love that Salesforce is doing that. I love Salesforce. They're a great awesome. company that really gets marketing, right? They get authenticity. They were cloud before cloud was cool, right? I yeah. remember as an employee of a company that partnered with Salesforce going to Dreamforce and seeing all of these little, you know, people walking around with costumes on that said no software. And I was like, but wait, we're all, we're software. What are you talking about? It was the first time we were really talking about the cloud, not actually being software on-prem. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I'm dating myself. <laughs> it's okay. I still talk about a Rolodex, you know, I'm, I'm still older than you. So I, I get, I still talk about taping things on television. Yeah. Can we tape that? Let's tape yeah. it. Oh my gosh. The, the VCR with the blinking 12, you know, yeah. the whole, the whole nine yards and rigging everything up. Where do you think marketing is going? I think it really is, even for B2B, about being more personal. Uh, I don't want to say authentic again, um, but you people are now so used to being sold exactly what they want, right? I go click on a pair of shoes that I see at Neiman Marcus. 
The next time I go to Facebook, I'm going to see the shoes are following me like, oh, right. I didn't buy. No, I'm not going to buy them this time. And then I come back and they're there again. If, if consumer advertisers can target me so well, then B2B marketers need to figure out how to do the same and to make sure that I am the right target. If I'm willing, if I'm grumpy and I'm willing to take time out of my busy day to tell someone exactly why they shouldn't market to me because I sell the exact same thing or that I can sell them something to help them with their pitch, um, then you really need to be spot on when you're talking to your audience about what it is that they need. Yes, it takes more time to research and you might have a pool of a hundred people that you're researching in a week instead of 5,000 that you're just blasting a message to. But of those 100 people, you're going to get a better response. I, I love that. It's not about marketing to 1,000 people. It's marketing to the right 1,000 people. Well, and I wouldn't even call it marketing. Nurture that relationship. Maybe they don't need what you sell right now, but build a relationship with them so that when they do need that, you're the person that they're calling. I love that. I love that, Heather. Um, how can people get in touch with you? I, sure. Uh, any I, questions? I know. You and we're also doing um, office hours right now. We feel like everyone's sort of in this pivotal place where they're transitioning or they're changing their business or their business is too busy and they, they feel like they're, you know, losing it all. Um, so we're doing office hours. If you go to channelmavenconsulting.com and look at our most recent blog post, you'll see how to sign up for 15, 30 minutes, my, like your laser round. Um, and then uh, LinkedIn. So it's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Heather K. Margolis. I always use my middle initial K. Otherwise, you'll Google me and find Cindy Margolis, which any of the men out there might know who that is. She's not a consultant. <laughs> okay. So say those two ways to get in touch with you one more time because some people are listening on podcast, not, not visual. Totally. If you just Google Heather K. Margolis, you will find a multitude of ways to get in touch with me, LinkedIn, our websites. Um, and I respond to, uh, if there's like a info at, I respond to all of those emails. Great. And I highly encourage everybody out there just to connect on LinkedIn and other areas with, with Heather, because she is a master at her craft. So just sort of watching what crosses Heather's feed is something that I do all the time. And I'll comment on some of them because I'm like, oh, that's what she meant. Okay. I'm getting an idea about all of this stuff. Now you can learn a lot by lurking and watching. Well, and I still love to learn. So if there are folks out there who have similar perspectives or different perspective, I want to talk to you too. I mean, I um, never stop learning. Otherwise you're um, talking about what happened 10 years ago. Exactly. And we can't do that anymore because it doesn't move us forward. So thank you so much for being on here and and wearing your phenomenal woman t-shirt. I love that. And, uh, you know, grateful as always. And I know we're going to be staying in touch and maybe doing some more stuff together, but you really, you made me think a lot today and you shifted my perspectives on sort of this Luddite thinking that I was having. Like, I like the old ways of marketing, but it's because I didn't understand how best to use what's out there now. So thank right. you for that. Thank you. Thanks geek, for having me. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. As, as a geek, we need to just think of all these other things. So thank you Got on. and everybody, um, Heather Margulis. And, you know, there's so much that we shared on today's show. 
I, I hope you've got some nugget that you found in it that is helping you post on social media. Let a, let me know, let Heather know what that nugget was or how you're changing something. Or you know what? If you have a question that you, you just is coming up for you, type it in the Facebook Live, type it on social media, tag us on it. And I, I know Heather, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I know you, you'll answer a question that's absolutely. Has, and as I will too, this is interactive. It's no fun if we're out there in the ether, out in the internet world and and nobody's responding. We want to help you. So at the end of the day, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.